but I took some risks to bring people together in pretty vulnerable ways in my membership community, in a mastermind community, and then through live events, which felt terrifying at the time, but it's also how I learned where the magic is for women and where the magic is for moms. It's tempting to think that you control your own brand. After all, you're the one paying for the logo art, the web design, the copywriting, the photo shoots, your money, your decisions, your story, your brand, except a brand is really only as strong as the idea of it in your customer's mind. Let me say that a different way. You can put loads of thought and money into carefully crafting a brand for yourself, for your business. But at the end of the day, if the customer thinks of you or your company as something else entirely, none of that thought or money matters. Your brand is what your customer thinks it is. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that transcends the hype about starting a small business by bringing you candid conversations with the people who are actually running and growing small businesses every day. Your brand is what your customer thinks it is. It's the impression they have about who you are, what you do, and how you help them. So in essence, all brands are co-created with their customers. We saw this in my conversation with Gina Bianchini from Mighty Networks in episode 267. Gina and her team is in constant contact with their user base to understand how people want to use their product and what that means for leveling up the Mighty Networks brand. We saw it again in episode 268 with Alyssa Catalano from Studebaker Metals. Alyssa shared that their unique approach to genderless accessories was always sparking conversations with new customers. Those two-way conversations go a long way to create a stronger brand identity for Studebaker. And I've experienced this firsthand. You know, the hardest part of my business transitions and pivots over the years hasn't been the process of changing a name or redoing a website. That's the easy part. The hardest part of rebranding has been rebuilding the idea our customers and community have about who we are and what we do for them. That process is never a one-way conversation. It's collaborative and co-creative, especially in a community-based business like ours. Now, my guest today also runs a community-based business, and she's intimately familiar with the role that her community members play in the brand she's building. Sarah Dean is the founder and host of Shameless Mom Academy. As the Shameless Mom Academy podcast started to take off, Sarah realized that what she was creating wasn't just hers. It wasn't just her sharing her thoughts and stories behind a mic and her audience listening all from their respective houses in their separate communities. Now, Shameless Mom Academy was a connection between women wrestling with their identities as mothers and ambitious women. This connection was the real story, the real brand and powering an emerging business. Today, Sarah leads the Momentum Mamas membership community, the Tenacious Mamas Business and Leadership Mastermind, and Shameless MomCon, where she brings the whole community together to co-create the foundation of this brand and celebrate their shameless motherhood. Sarah and I talk about the personal identity crisis that inspired her to start the podcast, how she started with a vision for making a big impact, but not necessarily making a big business, how she's leaning into imperfect action, and how the Shameless Mom Academy brand has evolved. Just a quick note before we get into today's interview, uh, you'll hear later on in the conversation, Sarah and I talk briefly about Shameless MomCon, which was an event in Seattle that was supposed to be at the end of this month. And 
obviously with the things as they are, Shameless Mom Con has been postponed. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Of course, you can find out everything uh, going on with Shameless Mom Con at shamelessmom.com. Now let's find out what works for Sarah Dean. Sarah Dean, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yes, I am excited too. So I'm going to start off with what might seem like a pretty obvious question or a pretty like duh question, but I'm I'm very curious about your specific experience and if there might be a specific story here even. So when did you realize that the sort of pop culture idea of being a mom really needed a rebrand? Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, so I realized quickly after I became a mom and realized that I did not fit into the pop culture definition or image that I had had in my head my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I started telling my, after some time, after some time of losing my mind and my mental health um, and trying to find my way back, I realized that there was just a lot of things not being talked about. And I started talking about them and I got a lot of really great feedback and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is something that I should be talking about more frequently and like behind a microphone. <laughs> so it kind of started there. Um, just recognizing that there was not a lot of people who I felt like identified with um, in, in motherhood land on social media. Yeah. What were some of the specific things or even like one of the things that you really wanted to talk about with other moms that you didn't see being talked about elsewhere? Yeah. So one of the things that happened with me is that, and anyone who's a mom will laugh at this, but I, um, I felt like I could have a baby and that baby would just like, I could take the pie of my life that's divided between like, you know, 60% work and 20% family life and 20% personal or whatever. And I felt like, oh, I could just give this baby like a piece of the pie, right? So the mm -hmm. baby will take up like 15% and then everything else will just be a little bit less than it was before. And what I realized after my son was born is like, this child becomes the entire pie and nobody warned me that. So I thought that my life would go on as normal, quote unquote, um, and that this baby would just come along for the ride and like sleep on me in an ergo while I just carried on with my life like I always had done. And I was in for a real rude awakening. Like that is not what happened. And I really went through a, a very literal grieving process. Um, I was actually in a parent group and I talked about this a lot that every week for 12 weeks of that parent group, I kept saying like, I'm just waiting for life to go back to normal. And it took me a year to realize, oh, it's not going to go back to normal. And I didn't have any warning about that. I didn't recognize that I would have to conscientiously rebuild my identity after becoming a mom. And so um, that was one of the really glaring pieces to me is that I, this image that was projected to me um, was that you get to keep being yourself and baby's just alongside you. And I realized like, oh, wait, no, you don't get to keep being yourself. You become a whole new version of yourself, which is not bad. But without warning, I was like, this is not what I was expecting. No, no. Okay, well, so that begs the question for me anyway, or I find myself wondering, are you the kind of person, the kind of woman who always wanted to be a mom? Or was this something that you came like a decision you came to later on when it was actually time to make that decision? Yeah. So such a good question. I always wanted to be a mom, but I never felt ready to be a mom. Mm. So, and that was, we actually went through a fairly lengthy infertility journey. And the whole time we were going through it, we were like, is this what we really want? Like, <laughs> what are we really working for here? Because we very much, my, my husband and I were on the same page. We very much felt like 
we know we'll regret it if we don't have a child or multiple children. But also, like, things are pretty great without kids. <laughs> like, we're not complaining about our life, right? It doesn't feel empty. Um, and so I-, I was someone who knew that I ultimately wanted that for myself. But I'm also someone who, high achiever, control freak, perfectionistic kind of gal, who I think we tend to struggle a little more in motherhood because we build our lives very intentionally mm-hmm. and with a lot of predictability and control mechanisms in place. <laughs> and you can't do that with a baby. Like you can't just, you can't plan what that's going to be like. And I very much thought I could and really did my very best to plan it. And um, over the course of our years going through infertility, I spent a lot of time planning exactly what this is going to look like when it actually happens. And like that was just thrown out the minute this child was born. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, I want to actually get into talking about how you've built the brand of Shameless Mom Academy. But I want to circle back to something else that you yeah. said, which is around building, rebuilding your personal identity. Um, because our personal identities are, you know, they're kinds of kind of the brand of of us. And I don't I don't even mean that as in like personal branding, the way we kind of think about it um, in the 21st century. But I mean, really, the way we know ourselves to be how we know ourselves. Can you talk about that process of learning who you were again, learning who you are again, for the first time and rebuilding that identity? Yeah, so a lot of it for me had to do with recognizing what I stood for in a different way than previously. So I, before having my son, I owned a gym, I'd been in the fitness industry for many years. I had built my a lot of my identity around helping women transform their bodies and mm-hmm. in most cases shrink their bodies because that's what most women desire in transformation of their bodies. And after my son was born, I had this really glaring recognition that that was no longer in my core values, that my identity had shifted in a way that I didn't it didn't feel ethical anymore or in alignment for me to be building a business around helping women shrink their bodies. And so that was like this personal side where I thought, oh, I'm having a huge shift within myself. And how do I rectify that with this brand that I've built? And so what I ended up doing is I did start to transform that brand. And I did some work around rebranding that business. But I also was like, I need to build something else. I want to build something new that is specifically around helping women and moms in particular take up space. And so that was where that really big shift happened. Um, and it happened over the course of a couple of years when my son was really little, but it started when he was probably about one. And by the time he was three, I was like all in on the podcast. And like I, my brand now and what I stand for is about helping moms take up space. I'm not behind helping women shrink anymore. Amen to that. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about Shameless Mom Academy then. Can you tell us um, how how did that idea start to form for you? What was, what was the genesis of actually taking these ideas that you were working with on a daily basis for yourself and starting to put them out into the world in a bigger way? So some of it started with um, my work at the gym shifting in terms of what I wanted to be promoting, how I wanted to be supporting women, how I wanted to be helping women in transformation. So it had kind of started there. And then I was introduced to podcasting and was listening to a lot of like single dudes in their twenties podcasting. And 
I was like, they're not that smart. <laughs> like if these guys can do this and make a bunch of money, I think I could too. <laughs> and, um, and their stories weren't that great. Their stories were not exceptional. <laughs> and so like not to, you know, discredit them in any way, but I was like, I have better stories. Um, so that there was a shift there for me where I was like, okay, like I have some good stories to tell about motherhood, things people are not talking about. Like I can talk about peeing my pants all day long. I can talk about <laughs> nursing sucking all day long. So there was that shift around like the conversations I wanted to be having and then telling really great stories about motherhood, um, which I felt really qualified to do and kind of being introduced to this, the platform of podcasting and feeling like this might be in my wheelhouse. Um, And so that's kind of where the idea began. Uh, And I'm always someone who pushes um, the status quo a little bit when I see people doing things and I'm like, Hmm, I think I'm also qualified to do that. Like They're not that special. (laughs) And so that's where it began for me um, was just as a passion project. Like, let's just see how this feels and see if it, how it, um, what kind of response I get. And if people are into this kind of content. So it was totally a hobby, um, no business around it or anything at first, but I just wanted, I I thought that it it would be fun for me to kind of test it out and play with it. And that's where it began. Excellent. Well, let's talk about the beginnings more. What did the early days of podcasting look like to you? How, what were those early episodes like? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was working with a business coach at the time and I kept pushing her. I was like, I really think I need to do a show that's about like fitness and nutrition for moms. And she's like, you will be bored out of your mind. That's what you've been talking about for 15 years. You're not allowed to do that. Because for me, the uncomfortable part was like, am I really qualified to be talking about parenthood and all these things? Like I can tell my stories all day long, but beyond that, what are, what am I qualified to share? And Um, so I started out, it's funny. If you look back at my early episodes, there are these pieces of that old identity in me, like how Mm -hmm. to, how to get in a workout before 10 AM and eight tips to eat more vegetable, like random things like that. Sugar is not evil. And like all these random things over time that all phases out. Like there's, I never talk about nutrition now. I'm like, if you want to eat ranch all day, go for it. (laughs) Um, but I started out with telling, um, with telling, a combination of telling stories that were current and kind of pulling in some of that old identity. And then as I got feedback, I was like, okay, I can now feel where I want to be going with this. And I started building confidence and podcasting was my reward. Like I had all this gym, my gym job was 40 plus hours a week. So it was really at the end of the week, if I had done all my gym work, I got to make a podcast. And so, um, it was kind of my, it was my fun hobby. And, I gave myself a year to make, to do it without any expectations of making money. Um, And I think that sometimes we feel a lot of pressure to dive into things and make a passion, like financially profitable and more purposeful really quickly. And I gave myself permission not to do that. Um, I was like, I want to just play with this for a while and see how it feels. And so that first whole year was just playing with it and trying it on. Um, and it felt good. Yeah. Well, has the name been with you the whole time? Do you, do you know the story of the name? No, I don't. Okay. Please tell me. <laughs> so, no, the name has not been with me the whole time. <laughs> um, it's a quick story, but we, I launched the show originally as the Selfish Mom Academy. Ah. And um, within like 24 hours, got a cease and desist <laughs> for trademark infringement. <laughs> And it was horrible. (laughs) So thousands of dollars later, um, I had a new name within a few days, the Shameless Mom Academy. But it was like a really, it was, the whole thing went down. It was really ugly the way that the other person handled it. And um, 
it was like women not supporting women in business. Yeah. It was just, it, I didn't love that at all. Um, but what was there, I always am like trying to look for gifts in things. And so the gift was that when I switched over to the shameless mom Academy, I was like, I can actually do a lot more with this. Like this actually, I feel like lends itself to more. I liked the selfish mom Academy cause I felt like it was a little controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and again, like pushing that status quo a little bit, but shameless. I, I mean, I'm so, so glad that that happened in hindsight. It is absolutely the better fit. Um, so you know, sometimes expensive lessons are very worth it. That is true, even even though they hurt so bad yeah, in the and moment. When you look like a complete fool, like I did. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear how Sarah found her first audience for the podcast and what they thought about it in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, there's a very, very good chance your brand is spread pretty thin right now. Let me guess, you're creating content on Instagram, on Facebook, maybe even on Twitter, YouTube, or on your own podcast. And fair enough, you want to reach people where they're at, get in front of new audiences and find new customers. But then what? Where are you going deep with your brand? How are you developing strong relationships with the people who are becoming fans or customers of what you do? When it comes to going deep with your brand, you have a lot fewer options. You can invest a good bit of money in a website that's just really a one-way conversation. You can send emails that end up in the same black hole as hundreds of other emails every day, or you can build a mighty network. A mighty network is the ultimate way to go deep with your brand and build strong relationships with the people you care about. It brings your content, community, courses, and conversation together all in one place. Plus, your mighty network makes it easy to charge a monthly membership fee, charge for premium groups, or even charge for individual courses, again, all in one place. When you're ready to go deep with your brand building, you're ready for a Mighty Network. To start your Mighty Network free of charge, go to MightyNetworks.com. Uh, where did your early audience come from? Oh, I love this question because I think that people think their early audience needs to be their ideal client. Mm-hmm. My early audience was like anyone who owed me a favor. <laughs> so I was <laughs> like, hey, male fitness person in the fitness industry that owns a gym, can you listen to my podcast for moms and write me a review? Like, I had no qualifiers on who was invited to listen to my show. Uh, and so I, my early audience was really built. I literally created a list when I went to launch the show that was people who I thought would be interested in the content friends and family who would do anything for me and people who owed me a favor. (laughs) And I reached out to all those people. It was a list of like a hundred people. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. I would love your support. I would love for you to be on my launch team, subscribe to the show, write me a review. And that's literally where it began. And so a lot of them, it's funny because a lot of friends listened in to like, do me a favor. And then they were like, Oh, I mean, it's pretty good. (laughs) They were totally surprised. I was like, well, yeah, have you met me? Like, I don't do things that I don't feel pretty competent at. But um, so yeah, it really came from like, one person at a time hand picking people who were not all totally like, ideal, (laughs) ideal listeners, um, and just inviting them into the project and, and asking for support. Yeah. Okay, so great strategy. 
And that makes me, I'm kind of comparing and contrasting this with what you said about the fact that you gave yourself a year to just kind of play with it with no expectations, because I think a lot of people would read that as, oh, she was, you know, she was just experimenting. She was just playing. Mm -hmm. But you balanced that with having a very clear strategic approach to actually putting it together, getting people to listen and taking it really seriously at the same time you were quote unquote playing with it. Um, wh- why? Like, uh, yeah. I, I guess I'd, I'd just love to know your thought process. Yeah. That. Um, it's funny that I've never even thought about it that way because that's how I do things. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's just, that's just like the perfectionistic control freak in me. And I think a lot of that is, I don't want to look foolish. I don't want to look. So if I'm going to do something, I want it to be successful. If I'm going to do something, how can I do it in a way that I get like an A plus on it? even if it never goes anywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. even if, and because it's public facing, like people knew I was doing it. So I think if I was like, you know, writing the first, the first draft of a book, that would have been different. I could have quote unquote played with that in a different way, but because it's public facing, it did mean something to me for sure. Um, I just wasn't committing to building a business around it. I wasn't committing to making it like a full-time thing uh, because I didn't have a clear, while I had a clear vision of the ability of the show to have big impact, I didn't have a clear vision for how I could create a business around this while also managing a gym full time. Um, and so that was like more than I could consider initially. And then over time, it became more clear that, oh, wait, you could sell your gym <laughs> and then you would have a lot more space. And so, but that was not on my radar initially. It was very much like, this is just going to kind of be on the side. And now I laugh because I'm like, it was basically community service. I didn't look at it that way, but it was my community service project for probably close to two years before I really went in on like, what, what am I going to do to build a business around this? Yeah. I have one more follow-up on on this particular topic because I think what you've just described of like going after the A plus, having mm-hmm. that kind of perfectionist control uh, control control freak streak in you, which I can completely identify with. You know, I think when a lot of people lean into that, they end up getting very stopped up around like it's not good enough yet. I can't put it out there. How do you personally balance? having that drive and that high achieving uh, A plus kind of uh, motivation Mm -hmm. without getting stopped up in the process of actually shipping something? So I um, definitely have learned to just practice imperfect action really regularly. And I really pay attention to when I get in my own way, which is frequently, but I pay attention to like, what is happening right now? Am I getting in my own way? Um, And for me, choosing the podcast was actually a really conscientious choice around battling my perfectionism because I had previously had a blog and I hadn't done anything with it in a couple of years, but I knew that if I went back to that, which was kind of my initial thought, like, oh, maybe I'll go into, you know, create a mom blog that I've blogged before I could do that. But I knew already my perfectionistic tendencies around blogging that like I would, you know, to do one post would require me to sit down on two or three occasions for two hours at a time to write it out, to edit it, like check and double check and triple check. And then how I mom check it. And I was like, I can't do that. I don't have the bandwidth for that. But I know myself well enough as a speaker and as a coach that I can get behind a mic, push record and be for 30 minutes and be done and not need to go back and check and double check. So I knew enough about my 
perfectionism to know how I could take imperfect action and stay out of my own way. And the podcasting platform I knew would allow for that in a much different way than if I were to go into blogging instead. So there was that piece. And then I am constantly noticing when I get in my own way and I notice the rewards of imperfect action. And I really own being someone who does things imperfectly. So I will straight up tell you that like my emails are going to have typos sometimes. Um, I used to get really cringe, like cringy when I saw other people in the industry have typos in their emails. And I was like, who do they think they are? They're not even that smart. Like so judgy. I was like, well, what if I could send out like twice as many emails and make twice as much money because I'm not stuck in like, you know, where the apostrophe should be. And so really embracing imperfect action and uh, incorporating that into my brand and into my core values and into um, everything that I stand behind as someone who wants to constantly challenge myself and grow has made a huge difference in just giving myself permission very regularly to um, and remind myself to be imperfect. Mm, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people listening. Um, (laughs) How has the Shameless Mom Academy brand evolved since the first podcast started? Oh, good question. So the brand has evolved. Um, It it very much started out, and I think probably as many podcasts do, it started out feeling like there was um, like me behind a wall or behind a mic, you know, Mm -hmm. like very um, kind of separate from a community. And it also felt like listeners were listening very independently. Like everyone is just in their own houses doing their own thing having this, you know, listen with me in their earbuds. And as it's grown, oh my gosh, it feels like such a strong, powerful community of moms and women. And I didn't, I didn't expect how powerful that could be. I didn't expect the impact of that. Um, and so the brand is really shifted to be about, how we can all connect as moms and how we can support each other and where can we show up and how can you be leaning on other moms specifically in our community, in our Facebook group, coming to our live events, like really connecting with other moms. And so now we have moms in the community who are like best friends with each other, who go on vacation together. Like it's crazy things I would have never thought of. Um, And that has been, as I've gotten comfortable I mean, I wouldn't say comfortable as I've taken risks to bring people together, which now I'm very comfortable doing. Um, But I took some risks to bring people together in pretty vulnerable ways in my membership community, in a mastermind community, and then through live events, which felt terrifying at the time. But it's also how I learned where the magic is for women Mm -hmm. and where the magic is for moms. Um, And that's been like just surpassed my wildest expectations. So I've really continued to push the brand in that direction. Okay, so you can't tell me that you took risks without telling me what the risks are. <laughs> so what kind of risks did you take to bring people together? So, um, I mean, probably the biz- biggest example is that last year I hosted my first live event. So we had Shameless MomCon. And I had a lot of stories in my head about how like moms are not going to fly to Seattle from all over the place to come to a conference for moms. Like that's just a huge ask. And how dare I, how dare I assume that they can pay for that, that they can take time from their family, that they have partners that can be supportive, like all of this. Um, But I had been getting a lot of requests within the community to host something. Uh, And so I decided to give it a try. And it was amazing. So the event sold out. And it's funny, I was like, well, we'll just do this once and see how it goes. And within like the first hour of the welcome reception, I was like, oh, we're, this is happening again. (laughs) I mean, it was literally like a high school reunion, like a 20 year reunion. I mean, it was ridiculous how immediately connected everyone was. And I 
recognize. And then over the course of the next two days, I was like, oh, this is my zone of genius that I did not know I had. Um, and so it was just this m- had you know massive impact. But the risk was a lot of money on the line. Like I paid for a lot of things before I knew if anyone was going to show up. Um, booking speakers, putting myself out there. It was, it felt extremely vulnerable. And I remember those two months leading up to the event. I remember thinking like, am I just going to not sleep for two months? Cause I'm so nervous about this, <laughs> um, but it went great. And now we're doing it again um, at the end of March and it's going to be twice as big and twice as amazing. And I can't, I can't wait. I mean, I have such a different perspective. Like I already know the magic is going to happen. Uh, so that, I mean, that felt very risky. Yeah, that is, that's definitely a big risk. Um, so I'm really resonating with this idea of you mm-hmm. realizing the evolution of your brand from one where you felt separate and your listeners felt separate from each other, or that's how you perceived it to be, mm-hmm. to one where you recognize that the brand is the community, that the 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 idea of Shameless Mom Academy are the connections, the relationships between the moms who identify with this this brand and and the values that you have. It's very, very similar to an evolution that I've gone through over the last few years. Um, I'm curious then how you personally balance how you approach business development, brand development, the strategy side of things with taking into account the sort of inherent ownership that then the community that you serve or the partnership that they have with your brand, how do you balance those things as, as you're planning for your business, for instance? Um, It feels, it feels like a lot to juggle at Mm -hmm. times for sure. It feels like, you know, there's, I'm, there's different community, different sections of or sectors of the community that I'm serving in different ways And so for me, it's a lot about staying really conscientious about wanting to have amazing free content and then also wanting to have opportunities for people to get deeper dives and to get more access to me and um, having a brand that is around, you know, one of the things I added in the last year was business and leadership coaching and having a brand that is evolving in a way that I can be what started out in like helping a mom rebuild her identity after motherhood now has places for women to come and build themselves as leaders in an organization, as leaders in their family, as leaders in their own businesses. And so kind of constantly looking at what is the evolution of a mom as she comes Mm. through the Shameless Mom Academy, moving from free content into other opportunities and programs with me, and what are her needs as she goes? And so strategy around that, like how can I provide opportunities for someone to grow through their experience in the Shameless Mom Academy? Um, And having some strategy around that has been it's been necessary to like be thoughtful about that and also being conscientious of like where are the limitations of how much I can serve because building a huge community it's it, it can feel really big it feels like a massive responsibility um and so having some boundaries around how I'm going to serve where I'm going to show up how long I'm going to be there like all those kinds of things um is is something that I have to constantly be thoughtful of yeah so on what works right now, we're in the midst of a branding conversation. But in the previous month, we were having a leadership conversation. And one of the questions that I asked everyone that month, or most of them anyway, uh, was how do you view your role as a leader? And I'd love to hear your answer to that question too. I love that question. So I view my role as a leader as I really, really strive to share my journey and all the ugly parts. (laughs) And so um, 
I share a lot of things about, you know, here's what I've built and here's how I've built it. And here's how I've, you know, found courage and confidence after motherhood and all those things. I also constantly talk about how I screwed up and what I'm nervous about and how I manage anxiety and things like that. And so I've had, and I've had some really, really uncomfortable conversations in very public ways when I've screwed up, screwed things up, because I think it's so important that as part of my brand, that I am not up on a pedestal doing everything better than everyone else, that people can watch me fail and that they can learn from that and they can grow with me. And if they can see me as imperfect, but someone who can own that and own a mistake and make an apology, then there's a much deeper level of trust. And so um, I've really, really, I've seen a lot of business owners not do that. And I want that to be built into my brand that like, I will absolutely own it if I screw up and I will make it better. And I will publicly own it. Even if it's behind closed doors that this happened, I will take that example to the public eye and say, oh my gosh, I have to tell you all how I completely screwed this thing up. And here's what I did about it. Um, And so that's been, that's been really, really important to me. And it gives me a lot of permission again, as a perfectionist, it gives me permission to be imperfect. And so I don't have to put so much pressure on myself, which I appreciate. Yeah. (laughs) Have you read the book, The Art of Gathering? No, I think I've heard of it though. One, I would highly recommend it, but two in this book. So the author's name is Priya Parker and she talks about how, um, as hosts or leaders of a gathering, that part of our role is being willing to go a few steps further into vulnerability, into admitting mm. our mistakes, because yeah. our the people that we are gathering are only going to be willing to meet us so far. So if we don't do those things, they can't meet us. At, like they can't do those things. We have to create that space. So I love what you're des- describing because it seems exactly in line with that idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even last night, someone asked me to specifically to tell a specific piece of a story. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know you guys would care about that. She's like, No, can you do like a whole separate Facebook Live on that? (laughs) I was like, Oh, yeah. So it's interesting how much people crave that. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, this big, huge thing happened. Like, will you come talk about the ugliest part on Facebook Live in front of everyone? I was like, Yes, absolutely. I'll be there tomorrow. Oh my God, I love that. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. I would love to hear about some of the challenges behind building this brand. Because even though I think there is such a craving for women to talk honestly about what motherhood is like and how it's impacting their lives and how they are rebuilding their identities um, and, and getting to know themselves again for the first time as moms, um, we are, you are also bumping up against such a cultural title force of what a mom should be, what we expect a mom to be. And there has to have been challenges. There have to have been places where things felt hard. Um, can you tell us about some of those challenges? Yeah. So for me, it's been a lot of reframing, like constantly looking at how can I reframe this? This feels really hard right now. How can I reframe it? And I've had some really great opportunities to do that through some different challenges. But for me, one of the things was, um, you know, when I was juggling the gym and the podcast and figuring out what to do with that, it was very exhausting and draining. And I had to constantly look at what am I doing and why am I doing it? And throughout that process, I got really clear on how I can be conscientious around finding the silver linings and finding the signs of like the universe screaming. And so I constantly look for that and, and choose to reframe things in a way that allows me to move forward. So one of the challenges um, that I faced during that time was just being spread too thin. And I think all mothers relate to that. And so 
I use that as my fuel and recognizing like I am doing way too much right now. And this is a sign that something has to give. And so what am I going to take off my plate? Uh, And reminding my, like, this is a gift that this is overwhelming right now because it's pointing me to take action to make things different. Um, So I am constantly doing little things like that so that when I come up against a challenge, I can look at it and be like, okay, what do I need to learn here? How can I grow from it? How can I use this as a story or an example later on that other people can learn and grow from? Because there will, no matter what you do, there's going to be challenges. And so I think that we have to constantly be just expecting them and ready for them and welcoming them with open arms. But for me, a lot of the challenges have come around creating the space that I want in conjunction with growing my with my family in the ways that I want. And so um, recognizing how I can be more conscientious and diligent with those boundaries and um yeah and 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 recognizing that that's all a really important part of the process yeah absolutely um so as we start to wrap up here i just have a couple more questions um the first is um about halfway through our conversation you mentioned that when you started the podcast you had a really strong vision for the impact that it could Mm -hmm. have but you didn't yet have a strong vision for the business that could grow around it can you share Mm -hmm. your vision as as it is now and what you are actively working on growing into yeah Uh, So we right now I have a membership community and I have a mastermind community and then I have my live events and I do speaking for other people's events as well. And so what I'm conscientious about growing now is uh, first of all, I'm conscientious about not adding too many new things Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, like stick with what you have. It's really great. (laughs) And let's keep, you know, let's keep impacting people in the ways that are already working and find ways to keep serving the people, keep serving in those ways. Um, so I'm conscientiously like often shutting down ideas to be like, no, like that would be fun, but that's not right now. Um, and so um, that's a piece of it is constantly recognizing like what I'm saying no to, and then recognizing what I'm saying yes to and the purpose that that serves. And so right now for me, that's my membership community, mm-hmm. um, which I tested early, early on in the whole thing. I was like, let's just do a little four to six week program and see, do I like having a community of 15 people. And now, you know, the community is much bigger than that and it's ongoing. It's not just four to six weeks, but it started with me with testing things out and then recognizing, okay, I like this and it's serving a purpose for me. It's manageable for me. It feels a zone of genius for me and it's having impact. I can see people getting growth and trans growing and transforming through this process. And so those are the things I'm doing now are the things that provide those opportunities for impact. Um, and for me, if you know, for me, I want impact to be on the biggest scale that it can be. So it is much more group oriented and not necessarily individual. Like I do very little one-on-one coaching. Um, so being conscientious around like that's the trajectory of growth. It's toward groups. It's toward, you know, um, bigger scale impact versus like how many one-on-one clients can I work with this year? So being conscientious in that direction as well, I think is really important. Got it. Sarah, what are you excited about this year? I'm really excited about Shameless MomCon because I know it's going to, like I said, like I'm doing something that I know is going to be amazing, which last year felt like, I'm doing something and I hope it's going to be kind of cool. <laughs> so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing the evolution of your brand and the genesis of it. And also, I think just really kind of your strategic and philosophical framework around continuing to build it. Uh, I know this conversation is going to be really helpful for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. I appreciate it. Now, remember, just like Sarah's brand evolved, 
your brand will evolve too. We all start with an idea of who we want to show up as, how we want our businesses to be perceived, and what it is that we're building in the first place. And over time, the people we gather and the connections we make inform what we're actually building. Our brands become a product of the relationships we have with the people we're serving. If you've been trying to strong arm your brand into existence or even into growth, maybe this is the wake-up call you need to take a step back, give up some control, and see how you can co-create this story with the people you care about most. To find out more about Sarah Dean and Shameless Mom Academy, go to shamelessmom.com. And check out the Shameless Mom Academy podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, you'll hear from Martinez Evans, the host of 300 Pounds and Running and the founder of the Slow AF Run Club. Martinez shares how and why he's working to change who we think of when we think of a runner and how that's helping him build a strong and engaging brand. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld. Production assistance is by Kristen Runvik. Find over 260 more candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>